Thank you, Lori. Good morning, Christ Central. All of our guests with us this morning, we're glad you're here. I, um, I made it like a, a little oopsie during the, uh, the prayer for the graduates. Uh, we certainly, we highlighted our high school seniors because, um, and not just because they are going off to college or trying to figure out what to do next, um, but because they have now stepped into adulthood. And that's a big deal. Uh, and we want to be able to acknowledge that. But, uh, but also in the prayer for the graduates, I, was, uh, I meant to pray for everyone else who's experienced some kind of graduation uh, over the past couple of months. Some people graduated from seminary, graduate school, uh, middle school, all that kind of stuff. So um, we are just thankful to God um, for, the, um, uh, for the, this, what you've been able to achieve and the, the next step that you've been able to take. So amen. And um, this morning, I was actually sitting here looking um, just now, like, okay, yeah, how am I going to uh, find what I need um, as I uh, preach to you this morning to be able to get to the scriptures? And I'm like, oh, thank God, there's a bulletin here. We almost had a mishap the other night. Big shout out to one of our interns, Robert Knuth, for getting our bulletins together early this morning. Thank you, Robert. Uh, it's like, he showed up the other night. Yes, please. <laughs> That's right. He showed up and it's like, the power cable for the computer was just missing. Like, of all things, a power cable? Like, who would want to take a power cable? Somebody wanted it, and maybe they got a good price for it. Who knows? Um, more power to them. <laughs> and then I, I also wanted to thank um, uh, those of you who uh, sent me text messages and such for my birthday last week. Um, I don't take that kind of stuff lightly. I guess the older you get, the more you appreciate the ways in which God shows his love for you through other people, through small gestures, and just recognizing your existence, that you're here um, and that he loves you. So thank you for being um, the hands and the feet of God to me this, uh, this past week. Uh, I really appreciate that. So we've been going through First Peter, um, and I wanted to do that so that, uh, you know, because Peter writes to uh, his brothers and sisters, other Christians, people who have uh, come to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and uh, who were living in a part of the, the country where, um, you know, well, I mean, they're the first church. And so they're, it's not like they're walking into Charlotte and there are a bunch of other churches around where they can go, right? So, oh, I, I've come to believe in Jesus. Where do I go? Uh, I've got a small group of people that I can connect with, right? Uh, and now those small group of people began to multiply over time, but they were still in an environment that would become increasingly hostile toward the Christian faith. And so these, these first Christians uh, were, were needed encouragement, and one of their apostles, Peter, writes to them in what he calls their exile, their pilgrimage. And I'll unpack that here in just a little bit. But they, you know, he's, he's speaking to them because he's already in Rome where there is physical persecution. Uh, and we, can, we find out through tradition that Peter was actually martyred in Rome, uh, that he was, he was killed there, murdered there. Uh, and so he's writing from Rome to these other Christians who are in a part of what we uh, today is modern-day Turkey. And uh, so he's writing to them, and Turkey's got some problems going on right now, right? They've been in recent news. But, so these first believers who are in Turkey, he's writing to them, and he's, letting, he's trying to prepare them for what's to come, the persecution that is sure to come. But we all, regardless of where we are in terms of faith, experience suffering, some level of persecution or aggression in this world. And so I think that this epistle, this letter written from the Apostle Peter is applicable to us all. Before we get into that, 
Uh, would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. Thank you that you speak to us uh, in season and out of season. And God, we don't know uh, what season everyone is in, in this room, but you know. And so we pray, oh God, that, uh, that you uh, would speak um, to each of us where we are, uh, that you would transform our seasons to reflect your glory as we listen to you by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So life itself can be a hustle, right? We know this, where we have declining health, and we're trying to find jobs, and we're trying to pay bills that are bigger than our income, and we're working on friendships that just don't seem to work. Right? It's just this, this broken existence, a, a wilderness, not this comforting, uh, craftsman-style uh, home with shiplap and, and uh, built-ins, right? Yeah, I've been watching a lot of HDTVs, you can't tell. Um, but re regardless of where you may be in terms of faith, we're all tempted to become angry or fearful or, or selfish when we consider the wilderness of life. And all it takes sometimes, right, is some social or political issue to, to arise and to rattle us, uh, our hearts that are already tender from the kind of lives that we, that we live, and then we end up not being really nice to each other. Right? It, 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 we, we got into grumbling and bickering and biting and fighting and nitpicking and, uh, you know, as the kids say, throwing shade, right? All that, all that stuff. That's, that's, that's where we end up. And why not? Why not do those things? Why not behave that way? Why not Act a fool, yeah, because life is hard, relationships are hard, work is hard. Believing in God can be hard. And yet we are uh, sometimes made to feel like strangers in a world that's supposed to be our home, and we, yet, yet we're alive and not so well in this exile, not able to really settle in and get comfortable and, and make beautiful things that will last. Well, then the feeling of the strain of life becomes one reason why many of us were driven to Christ, right? Life just felt like too much, just too much pressure. And so God used that for some of us to draw us to himself, to draw us to Jesus. And we, would been, we were driven to him to, to ask for help and to rely on his plan of rescue. And so we became Christians. And then guess what? It kind of made things worse, didn't it? Becoming a Christian, right? I mean, if we didn't feel like strangers in the world before, we certainly do now. Right? Like, we just don't fit in. For our, our hope is, has, has not yet been fulfilled. That which we, we're looking forward to as believers just hasn't come yet. Christ is, a, is alive, amen, and he has conquered God's enemies, but his kingdom hasn't come in its fullness. We're still waiting. And those who have placed their, their lives in Christ's nail-scar hands are, are still waiting. So if we go back to this wilderness theme as a way of seeing our world, then we can see the Christian life as a pilgrimage. And that's the, uh, or, or, or an exile. And, and that's the image that Peter uses here in our text this morning. Pilgrimage. Exile. Christians are strangers passing through this weary wilderness of a world awaiting their true home with the Lord and his saints. A new world, a new creation. That's going to be a good day. Amen. 
But we have to get back to our mess for a minute. We have to open our eyes and put on some lotion, as it were, as Peter kind of says here, being, being alert and sober, as he says. If you've become a Christian, I think you've noticed how faith in Jesus can complicate some of your relationships, how it can complicate some of your ideals and complicate some of your goals. So your friends, your coworkers, and your relatives, Christians or not, don't understand some of your values and don't understand some of your decisions. And they, along with whole institutions and whole industries, have become indifferent toward you. And, and honestly, you've probably become indifferent toward them too, right? Your cousins have become indifferent toward you. Forget them. This country has become indifferent toward you. Forget it. Many parts of the church have become indifferent toward you. Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. Just, just forget it. Forget it all. After all, if you're just passing through, heaven is your home, right? Not this place. But then we got to listen to Peter. When he says in verse 13, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. What? That's hard, Peter. That's difficult. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Why should Christians remain fully aware and fully awake as they walk through this wilderness of life? Why can't we just do what we need to do to get by until Jesus returns? After all, we have Jesus, right? Like, 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 like Mary J. and Method Man. You're all, you're all that I need to get by. I got Jesus, you know, that's just, I don't need anything else. What, let me just get by. We're good. We're good, right? No, you have to be awake, alert, sober-minded in a world that can be indifferent or even hostile toward you. Why? Peter says it. Verse 16, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You shall be holy. For I am holy. Wow. Do you get what Peter is saying here about holiness? Holiness is about drawing near and not separating from. Drawing near and not separating. So many of our neighbors who have been burned by the church, been ostracized, denounced, and ridiculed by Christians who have behaved holier than thou. So holiness doesn't feel so good to our culture. And it can still feel a bit confusing to us who call on the name of Jesus and have been committed to following him and loving our neighbors. But Peter provides help to his original readers, and he provides help to us this morning. For Christians are not just called to pass through this wilderness of life, but to fully engage with its contours of indifference or a little bit of openness or even outward and outright hostility toward the things of God. Does that happen, that kind of engagement? Does it happen through evangelism? Yes. Does it happen through social justice and change? Yes. Yet the apostle says we cannot, we dare not bypass God's call to be holy as he is holy. So let's walk through this a little. Noticing the, the features 
of being holy, the motive for being holy, and the foundation for being holy. The features of it, the motive for it, and the foundation for it. Certainly what we see in the scripture that's been read for us this morning doesn't include all of the features of holiness, but it, it's got everything, it has a few things there, it has some things to say. First thing I'll point out is this, that being holy is a personal thing as opposed to an academic thing. It's personal, it's not, it's not academic. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. See, holiness is not just a, it's not a, a grabbing a, a code of, of morals and, and figuring out, like, how to apply this, you know. And, and if I just study it and, and get it just right and, and comprehend every single uh, a jot and tittle on this thing, you know, I can, I can, I can figure out how to be holy. No, it, you know, yes, God has given us his law, and his law is revealed to us in the scriptures, and we ought to read it in order to know these things, yes. But that is not ultimately where we go. It is not an academic exercise. Being holy is about imitation. Did you see that? Be holy because I am holy. The question for your discipleship and mine is this, who are you becoming? Who are you imitating? That is the question for our discipleship. The reading and, 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 the, and the watching and all that kind of stuff that we do has a part to play in it, but who are we becoming? Who are we imitating? Right? Whether you're eight years old or 18 or 58 years old, who are you imitating? Hey, we need to be able to get up close to the Lord to be able to do life on life with Jesus, but also consult in the memoirs, if you will, of the Lord and, and testimonies that we get from other believers and those who are walking with him. When I was in college, I had a, a, a professor who, uh, who invited me to, uh, to be one of his mentees. And he just called me out and, and he, he, I, I was surprised. You know, I'm sitting there in chapel and I walk out in the hallway and he's, he's like, you know, Mr. Hill, come on over here. And I'm like, what? What's about to happen here? And he just says, you know, I noticed certain things in you. And, you know, the Lord is just impressed upon me to, like, spend some time with you. And you know, he called out something within and then said, come and walk with me. And then along with a couple of other students, we were then invited to his home. And then there we got to see him with his wife and the way that he treated his children and all that sort of things were modeled before us, as well as having... Um, uh, conversations and discussions, right? And that's usually how, you know, the discipleship, mentorship happens, right? Life on life, there's an invitation. Things are shared. Things are modeled before you. And God has called us out to be his children, not to be slaves, right? Verse 14, it says this. Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, right? Not, not as obedient slaves, obedient servants, obedient employees, but as obedient children. God had spoken to us. He sees us and he's called us out to be his children. And now he says, walk with me, learn my will, imitate me, obey me. And yes, we're to serve God, uh, but we're to serve God as children who look to please their father. 
just as children hopefully try, as we want, we desire for our children to, to please their parents. So we need to be able to get near him, see where he's working, read the scriptures, and learn from testimonies of other people. Right? And this is one of, the, one of the many reasons why we need the church, because there's so many, there's so many other people around us who have been walking with the Lord and been trying to obey their father and to learn from them. And there's much for us to learn from them from hearing their testimonies. Right? And, that, and that's how we are able, then we are able to be encouraged to continue to walk with the Lord and to be holy as he is holy. We are to be children who serve, not servants who act childish. There's a difference. We need to be children who serve and not servants who act childish. It involves a personal imitation of a God who has called us to be his children and who wants us to call him father. Simply a child following her father. And so Jesus, he modeled this for us, right? He, he did this with his own life. He, he says, well, I, I'll only do... What I see, what? The Father doing. I do what the Father is doing. I, I imitate my Father. So now, so, the, so it's personal. And it's, a, it's not just an academic exercise. We are to imitate someone. There's a relationship there. We imitate our Heavenly Father. But an, another feature of, of being holy that Peter talks about here is that it's deep as opposed to being superficial. It's deep. It goes down. It's not something that's just on the surface. Look with me again at verse 14. Peter says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now you see two different things there. There's passions and there's conduct. There's desire and his behavior. Now, which one comes first? Now, I think a lot of people, when they start thinking about being holy, want to put behavior first. Study the code, give me the 10 things to figure out, and then I'm just going to act right and do right and try my best, and, and, and that's it. Hey, look, behavior is important. That's great. Thank God that some people would, are just like, hey, look, I don't, I don't want to be ostracized. I don't want to be ashamed for not doing what's right. Let me just try to do right behavior, even if I don't really believe in the thing. I mean, that's great, right? Uh, you know, when, when people just are just like driving down the road and they decide to obey the traffic laws, even though they don't really want to, thank God that they're doing it because you don't get hit, right? I mean, that's, it's good. And con so behavior is good. Conduct is important. But how many of you know that it's possible to have a fake spiritual life? It's, po it's very possible to have a superficial spirituality. And uh, we, we've known plenty of people who have, and I've known plenty of people, who, who have attended uh, church debates. I mean, man, they love it. You know, certain, such and such speakers are going to come and get this speaker. You know, the, uh, some uh, famous atheist is going to duke it out with some uh, a Christian scholar. And, and people attend that stuff, and they love it. They just eat it up. Like, like a popcorn. Oh, man, this is great. And, and, or people go to engaging lectures of other kinds all the time. And, you know, the, the big men's conference, the big women's conference where, you know, they got all, the big speakers coming and, and, and they, you get all the nice grab bag and all that good stuff and free books and everything. And people love that stuff and just eat that up. And like, it's like an addiction, right? Or we, we've known people who, 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 and I've known people who sweat hard. I mean, sweat 
in a lo- like a long worship service. You know, they go to these worship conferences where they just play music all week, and you just don't even, you don't even bring a chair. You just lay out in the grass and stuff like that, and, you know, and, and it's just people from all generations just there just jumping up and down and, and, and having a good time, and woo, then we have a good time in the Lord. Amen. We had a great time. But their lives haven't changed. Their lives haven't changed. You know, they go to all these different things. There's very little in their life that they may have done out of love for Jesus? And that's a a good question even as we search ourselves. When was the last time that you did something out of love for Jesus? When's the last time you did that? And and, and because we we can go to all these different things and say, look, you know, I'm I'm gonna get under the word and just eat up all these different spiritual things and, and people will see me there and, and man, it's gonna be awesome. And this is like, I'm, I'm gonna be around all this positive energy and, and where, where people are just praising and, 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 and hugging each other and high fives and getting all kinds of great principles for life and that sort of deal. And yet they don't and may not become better brothers, better mothers, better wives or fathers. There's an Anglican bishop from um, a while back, J.C. Ryle. Uh, He says this. He says, it is far easier to be a Christian among singing, praying, sympathizing Christians in a public room than to be a consistent Christian in a quiet, retired, out-of-the-way, uncongenial home. Now, I had to look that up for a second. I was like, what's uncongenial? Forgot what that is. It's just uncomfortable, right? It just, it, your, your home isn't the way it's supposed to be. You, you come home, your kids are not acting right, your roommate's not acting right, whatever it is, right? It's, it's so much harder to be a Christian when you come home and stuff isn't working the way you want it to be. You just want to check out, to numb yourself. This isn't what I signed up for. You know, how can I be holy in this kind of unholy environment? This is my house, dadgummit. Like, come on, Jesus, do something about this. If I'm to be holy, you've got to change this environment. And yet we're called to be holy in that, for to be authentic Christians. Why is it so much easier to act like a beast than a child of God when our home feels like the wilderness? J.C. Ryle goes on. He says it's, 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 it's easy when we're around churchy things, but we need the grace of God to convert our desires so that we can imitate God in the wilderness. To convert our desires, to imitate God in the hard spaces of life. Jesus himself said that out of the mouth right, comes the overflow of our what? Our heart. Our hearts need to be changed. They need to be transformed. To, so it turns out that desires, and right, I mean, when, when you're in spaces where churches where they talk a whole lot about holiness all the time and holier than now, they make it seem like all desire is a bad thing. Don't desire anything. Passion, passion that word passion, ooh, you see that. See, a seed, the word says, you know, passion. That's bad, right? Don't be conformed, pa- don't be conformed to passions. But here it says, Peter makes it clear, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He qualifies it. Not all desires are bad. It's, it, Peter qualifies the whole thing. So it's, it's not desire versus no desire. It's godly desire 
versus ignorant desire or ignorant, just, just straight up ignorant desires, passions that, that just ain't right. You know, um, we, 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 need, we need to be able to see those things be rooted out of us and to see these godly desires be formed within us. We need the grace of God to help us desire what God desires and also to hate what God hates. Man, that's a hard word, too. I mean, we're talking about holiness. That's a hard thing. Hate is a hard one, too. And our, and our culture that has this nebulous definition of love, I and mean, when love is just accepting all things, it is, there's no qualifier to it whatsoever. And, and, and so, then, so then hatred itself is, is bad. It's a vice. But how can that be? Because we hate the exploitation of the poor and the marginalized, and we hate when a wild snake is loose in a playground, Right? But, but yet, we are also called to hate revenge and to hate greed. But our hearts don't always line up that way, do they? We don't always, we don't always hate all the things that God hates. We hate some things. But we are to imitate our Father. And being holy has to go deep. Our desires need to be reshaped so that we begin to love what God loves and hate what he hates. Now, in the, in the text here in the beginning, when he says, prepare your minds for action, right? You look at the, the word that, that the whole phrase also means, gird up your loins. So you have to picture a, a, a father or, or anyone who is wearing a robe in the ancient Near East, and they're like, okay, they're getting ready to run. They're getting ready to do something. They're getting ready to do some work. And I think we heard about some of this uh, last week when um, pa Pastor Brown uh, um, preached on, uh, Luke 15, when you heard about, you know, the, the prodigal, the prodigal, fa the father, you know, his love, right? He's just, he, gird, he girds up his, his robe and, and gets ready to, and runs out when he sees his son returning home, right? It's gird, gird your loins, get, get ready, right? And that's why I, earlier I said, you know, put some lotion on, because that's what my mom would say to me in the morning, right? You got to go to school, put, put some lotion on your face. And we say that to our kids, <laughs> put some lotion on, get ready, right? Just stop, stop playing around, don't go out there ashy. You got to get ready for school, right? So... You know, and, and so, so Peter's saying here, it's time for believers to get it in. And being holy has something to do with that. Being, being holy isn't something that just happens to you, but it's something that you have to work on. It involves the work of personally knowing your God so that you can imitate him. And it involves the work of submitting your desires to his power so that the holiness is deep. It takes work. You got to put it in. You got to get it in. But what, why, why, why do we work? Why, why even get in there and, and get into this whole work of trying to be holy? Like, isn't it good enough to know that I'm heading for heaven and to just be nice to as many people as I can and not get on anybody's nerves? I mean, what, are, what then are some motives for being holy? Well, for one, Peter tells us that if you're in Christ, you've been set free. You've been set free. So live in it. Live in that freedom. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, 
who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Get this, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. You've been ransomed from the futile ways of your forefathers, set free, live in the freedom, freed from the former ignorance in which you lived before you became a Christian. See, because before becoming a Christian, you probably thought that the way to life was to imitate a celebrity or to imitate some element of nature, right? And so you began to imitate it, imitate her, and then you find out the hard way that, that life isn't found in a river. It's not found in the wind. It's not found on a reality TV star. It's not found in the bottle. These things can be expressions of life, but they are not the source. Only one is worth imitating. Only one is worth surrendering our entire lives to so that we may have life. And that one is God and those who seek to imitate him. As Paul says, right? He's, Paul said, encourage uh, uh, those whom he led. He said, follow me as I follow Christ, right? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So why return then to imitating anything less than the source of life itself, right? To, to imitate lesser gods, to imitate things that ultimately will lead us through the, the way of death, just because the wilderness of our lives becomes too tough to handle. Why do we do that? But we do. Lord, have mercy. We do. Verse 17, and if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So, if we live in the world as people not evaluated by God according to our status or our gender or our ethnicity, right, judged impartially, but, but, but we live in the world as, as people. We're Christians. We're, we're, we live in the world as children called to love their father. Then we ought to worship the Lord as someone who was pure and like no one else. Our lives ought to re reflect that. Right? So it's like if you, you know, if you have, uh, you know, you work for somebody, but your, your manager, your supervisor treats you like an ox. Just get the work done. No, no vacation for you. You don't need health benefits, so forth and so on. Like, there's something wrong with that, right? Or uh, like if you're, it, 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 you know, if you're, you're dating a girl, you know, you're her, her boyfriend, and she begins to treat you like a strange man, like, I don't want you around my friends. We're like, why can't I come and meet your friends? Uh, I don't know. You know, like, wait a minute. Like, there's a violation there of both the person and the relationship. You feel disrespected. There's something is wrong. And so this is what we need to do and why we need to practice 
holiness with the Lord because it respects who he is and it respects our relationship to him. Right? Can we honor God and his relationship to, to us beyond simply doing hashtag bless and won't he do it on social media? Do we have a holiness that's deeper than that? The Lord knows in this weary world, there are people around us who need a holiness that is deeper than that. So much deeper. So certainly the, these, these motives that, that Peter gives us here for being holy are not all of the motives that you can find in Scripture for being holy. But they are pretty substantial. For our imitation of God is to be personal, it's to be deep, motivated by knowledge of, of true life and our relationship to God. But sometimes, sometimes we just don't have the strength to be wholly engaged with the world in holy living. Sometimes we just don't have the strength, as Dr. King said, the strength to love. And we just don't have it. And sometimes we just want to close our eyes and numb ourselves to our challenges and numb ourselves to what's around us and be unholy just for a year, maybe two. I just check out Jesus. You understand. You get it. This is why we need a foundation. We need an anchor. If we're, if we're, if we're not just going to do holiness in the wind, we need some kind of foundation. There's a foundation for being holy. Peter says this in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, right? Girding your loins, get, getting to work. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, we're called as believers to stay awake and to see the world as it really is, not to close ourselves off to it and to work in it. Yes, we are called to do that, but we are also called to set our hope fully on the day in which Jesus will return. For when he returns, we will experience a new heavens and a new earth. When he returns, we will have new bodies and brand new and renewed relationships. If we keep our eyes open to the new creation, then we will see that there will be a time in which there is no more cancer, no more school shootings, no more cover-ups, and no more being left behind. All those days will be gone. And who we are becoming will fit with that world. Who we are becoming will fit in the world in which the world that has been promised to us. And so now we practice. The one who conquered death is the one who will bring it. And let that encourage you. Because as you struggle forward by faith, as you, as you try and just say, you know what, I'm, I've, been, I've been trying to imitate God in this situation or in that situation, and it just hasn't worked, and the, the, the world around us is just not changing, but the one who has conquered sin, death, and the grave will bring it. He will bring it. So then meanwhile, we, what we do is proximate. What we do is, what we do is, is merely a, a signpost or a, a foreshadow of what is to come. Our holiness is not about a, a social program or some campaign promise, but it is a divine reality that will be ushered in into every single fiber of the universe by our soon and coming king. So we prepare for it now by how we live.
we become signposts for a new world to a world that is estranged from God in the wilderness. We become allies for the unholy by becoming holy. That's a strange love. And we have said that being holy is about imitating the Lord, right? And he's not, uh, we're not to only be about uh, um, uh, looking at the object of our imitation, right? It, or because any, any, other, any other object, well, we, we need to evaluate that. We need to see what it is. Is it the Lord? Because any other object for our imitation is futile. But we also would realize that any attempt to please God without Christ is also futile. Right? Because we don't always love God, even less the self-centered, the disrespectful, the indifferent, and those who are hostile around us. And we, we should, and we're trying to be, to be holy, and we see Jesus, and his glory is reflected before us, and, and, and we see, oh, no, wait, not only is there a wilderness around me, but there's also a wilderness in my soul. What, what am I supposed to do? I need to be forgiven. And I need Jesus. I need your commitment to me. I need you to be committed to me in a covenantal way, in a, in a I'm marrying you and I'm with you 100% kind of way, but in, order to, in order to progress and to continue to be, the, as the, the, the word, the theological word is sanctify, sanctification to progress in holiness, to progress in being set apart as one of your children. I need your commitment and I need your forgiveness. And this is why we need to see the one who is holy being defiled for the unholy, so that we could become holy. For verse 18 says this, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He who was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Your faith and hope are in God. Holiness is more than just passing through the wilderness in this human journey. Because holiness itself, the Lord passed through this wilderness which is our human journey, and he died for the indifferent. He died for the hostile, both in the church and outside of it. And if there's anyone who should have said, I'm done with this here, it should have been Jesus. There's anyone who should have said that. And yet he was set apart, made holy for, for our salvation that we might be set apart for his glory. That song that, that we sing in here pretty often, it says, it says, why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. Right? But we do know this, that God has promised that when this pilgrimage is over, we'll experience his approval. We will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. C.S. Lewis reflects on it this way. To please God, 
to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in her work or a father and a son, it seems impossible. A weight, a burden of glory, which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. How strange for a holy God to love such an unholy, unworthy, sinful people, but so it is. What a strange love. In his grace, we see just how holy our God is. In the cross, we behold his majesty as we reflect on his majesty. And as his majesty be begins to go deep down into our hearts and we are transformed and we begin to reflect him. And as our faith and hope remain in God, we will become a community of pilgrims just passing through with a strange love providing living bread to a world that is wearied from the wilderness. May God do it in our time. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you know how hard this life can be. And sometimes it's not extremely difficult, but they're just little things, microaggressions of life that make things just, <clears throat> just a little uncomfortable. And, and, and because of our hearts, Lord, we, we take those things in and sometimes become bitter and become indifferent toward the things that you care about. Our desires become disordered. We sometimes don't hate the things that we should hate, sometimes don't love what we should love. But God, we thank you that you have promised as a good father to be with us, to train us in the way that we should go. And you have promised to be with us by your spirit to transform us. And you have promised to have mercy on us because uh, you, you, you spent over us for our forgiveness, not perishable things like silver or gold, but the blood of your son, the lamb of God. We thank you, Lord, for you paid a, a redemption for us that is priceless. Who can put a price tag on what you've done for us? It's of eternal value. So, Lord, you deserve no less. We pray that um, today, even today, that you will call us uh, to be holy as you are holy. Not only for our sake, so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, wow, aren't I a good Christian? Man, I feel great. This is awesome. But to be able to be sources, streams, as it were, of living water for our neighbors who live in a world that has uh, become weary in this, this life that we call a wilderness. Help us to bear witness to you in our exile. By your grace and mercy, in Jesus' name, amen.